Hey guys, welcome back to FCC Grayson Online. My name is Ben. I'm the lead pastor here. And today we are going to be moving away from our study of the book of Exodus. We're going to hit pause on that for the month of April. And we're going to be starting a new series here in these four Sundays uh, called People of the Resurrection. So this third Sunday in this month, we're going to be celebrating the resurrection on Easter Sunday. And if you've been with us uh, for a couple years now or so, uh, we did a series, a couple Christmases, I think it was in Christmas 2020, of kind of people of Advent, you know, a character study of role players during the Christmas season of the birth of Christ, these different people that we see in Scripture and their stories, the way that the birth impacted them and the lessons that we could learn from their lives. We're going to do the same thing this month with the resurrection as we look at different characters, different events, different people after Jesus' resurrection. Uh, today we're going to be talking about Mary Magdalene. Now we're going to be looking at Thomas, we're going to be looking at Peter, and then we're actually going to look at the event of the story uh, of the road to Emmaus when Jesus appeared to the, the guys walking there. But today we're going to be focusing on Mary Magdalene and we're going to be taking lessons from her life, the way that she interacted with Jesus during this time uh, after his resurrection and before his ascension, the way that she kind of processed that, some of her history, and then lessons that we can learn and apply to our lives today because we, just like Mary, just like Peter, just like Thomas, just like Joseph of Arimathea and so many other people, we are also people of the resurrection. And without the resurrection, um, then we don't have the, the song that we have, we don't make the proclamations that we have, and we don't have the relationship with Jesus that we currently have because without the resurrection, he would just be another good man who lived a great life but is still dead. And any other religion, any other faith that you see in belief system in the world, they have their they're great people of importance and these people who seem to live above uh, what we feel like may be capable of us living. But the thing that separates Jesus more than anything is that he's still alive. The tomb is empty. It was then and it still is today. And that's what makes this special. So we're going to take this time this month and we're going to look and learn some lessons. So if you have your Bibles, go ahead and turn to John chapter 20. We're going to be reading the first 18 verses of this account of, um, well, you're going to see in here that John uh, records an epic foot race that took place, but we're not going to be talking about that just yet. So John chapter 20, verses 1 through 18. Now on the first day of the week, Mary Magdalene came to the tomb early, while it was still dark, and saw that the stone had been taken away from the tomb. So she ran and went to Simon Peter and the other disciple, the one whom Jesus loved, and said to them, They have taken the Lord out of the tomb, and we do not know where they have laid him. So Peter went out with the other disciple, and they were going towards the tomb. Both of them were running together, but the other disciple outran Peter and reached the tomb first. And stopping to look in, he saw the linen cloths lying there, but he did not go in. Then Simon Peter came, following him and went into the tomb. He saw the linen cloths lying there, and the face cloth, which had been on Jesus' head, not lying with the linen cloths, but folded up in a place by itself. 
Then the other disciple, who had reached the tomb first, also went in, and he saw and believed. For as yet they had not understand the scripture, that he must rise from the dead. Then the disciples went back to their homes. Mary stood weeping outside the tomb, and as she wept, she stopped to look into the tomb. And she saw two angels in white, sitting there with the body, where the body of Jesus had lain, one at the head and one at the feet. They said to her, Woman, why are you weeping? She said to them, They have taken away my Lord, and I do not know where they have laid him. Having said this, she turned around and saw Jesus standing, but she did not know that it was Jesus. Jesus said to her, Woman, why are you weeping? Whom are you seeking? Supposing him to be the gardener, she said to him, Sir, if you have carried him away, tell me where you have laid him, and I will take him away. Jesus said to her, Mary. She turned and said to him in Aramaic, Rabboni, which means teacher. Jesus said to her, Do not cling to me, for I have not yet ascended to the Father. But go to my brothers and say to them, I am ascending to my Father and your Father, to my God and your God. Mary Magdalene went and announced to the disciples, I have seen the Lord, and that he had said these things to her. So I feel like it might be just a touch amiss if I kind of gloss over John's recording here of this story. Uh, the ever-present middle school version of myself has to see in John uh, this detailing of this foot race. You know, he doesn't even name himself. He's like, there was Peter, and then there was this other disciple, the one who Jesus loved. And then there was Peter, who took off running. But then there was this other disciple, the one who Jesus loved. He got there first, but he did not go in. But then Peter went in, and then the one whom Jesus It's just such an epic middle school tale of my dad can beat up your dad kind of thing. So I just I, the middle schooler in me had to recognize that at least. So let's look at the life of Mary Magdalene. Let's look at what the New Testament says about her. And I kind of want to begin by telling you who she, who she was, by describing to you first who she was not. Sometimes the best way to determine who or what something is, it's easier to do so and provide a clearer definition if we first find out who or what they are not. First off, Mary was not the wife of Jesus. She was not the wife of Jesus. I don't care what you read in Dan Brown's novels or what you saw in his movies. She is not the wife of Jesus. She is also not the mother of Jesus' child. Okay, Lay the tinfoil hat aside and rely on Scripture. She's not either of those two things. All right? Mary also is not the same Mary that we attribute to Mary and Martha. It's not Lazarus's sister. Okay? That's Mary of Bethany. So she is not that Mary. She is also almost 100%, we can't say definitively, but the odds are that she is not the one who washed Jesus' feet with her hair. Right. So she's not, she's not Martha's sister. She's not Lazarus' sister. She's not a prostitute. Mary Magdalene was not a prostitute. 
Okay? That it was somehow developed that theology in Catholicism by Pope Gregory in the 6th century. That all of a sudden that the account out of Luke chapter 7 in the later accounts that the prostitute coming and washing Jesus' feet, that Pope Gregory decided this is who Mary Magdalene was. This was not the same Mary. She was not a prostitute. Okay, So she was not... Jesus' wife. She was not the mother of Jesus' child. She was not Mary of the Mary and Martha. She was not a prostitute, and she was not the one who washed Jesus' feet with her hair. So that's what she was not. What she was and who she was was she was Mary Magdalene. Now, Magdalene is not her last name. Jesus' last name was not of Nazareth. Jesus' last name was not Christ, okay? So understand that Mary Magdalene, which is referred to in other portions of the Scripture, maybe more accurately, is Mary the Magdalene. She is from a place called Magdala. So that's where you get the Magdalene from. Magdala was a small little province, a small little town that was very affluent, now, they were major, major players in the fabrics, in the dyes, in the textiles, in the fashion. This was like the Rodeo Drive of the Middle Eastern ancient world here, all right? So she came from a very affluent area, a very affluent place. Now, in the, in the Gospel of Luke, let's look at Luke chapter 8, and we're going to be reading verses 1 through 3. It's going to give us a little bit more history into who she was. Verse 1, Luke chapter 8. Soon afterward, he went on through cities and villages, proclaiming and bringing the good news of the kingdom of God, and the twelve were with him, and also some women who had been healed of evil spirits and infirmity. Mary, called Magdalene, from whom seven demons had gone out. Seven demons. Okay, I don't know... How many demons are too many demons? But I'm pretty sure once you get past like three, you've got too many demons. So seven demons had gone out. And Joanna, the wife of Shusa, Herod's household manager, and Susanna and many others who provided for them out of their means. So we see here in Luke chapter 8 that she was from Magdala. She had been delivered by Jesus from demon oppression and that she was also one of the ladies who was financing these journeys. Okay? She was the one, maybe not the only one, but a main one who was providing the finances for the travels of not only Jesus, not only his disciples, the 12 disciples that we typically think of, but there was a host of followers that went with Jesus. It wasn't just the 12. Okay, let's understand that clearly, that he had more followers that went with him everywhere that he went, more than just the 12. And she was very much a person of influence as well. So we have to understand that Mary, I hope that by now, that your mindset maybe has changed a little bit. Because most of you, I'm willing to at, at, at least venture the guess that as we heard the first mention of Mary Magdalene here today, you thought of a lowly, 
kind of destitute, kind of poverty-ridden, lower-class socioeconomic individual that Jesus has pulled out of the muck and the mire of society and is now part of this ragtag group of followers. Understand something that from her social status and her economic status, she was very affluent. She was a person of influence not only financially, but also personally. I mean, she was rubbing elbows here and, and walking with someone who is in great influence politically. And we know that she had she was well-to-do from a financial standpoint because she was one that was helping to finance these journeys that they were on. So that's who Mary was. Okay, she's from a place called Magdala, so Mary the Magdalene. So let's look at a couple things that I believe that we can learn from the life of Mary. And, and we're going to kind of be bouncing some scriptures up here on your screen because we're going to be pulling from different gospels here. But let's look at some things that we can learn from her life. The first thing that we can learn is that she followed Jesus everywhere, even when times were difficult. Okay, she followed Jesus everywhere, even into the difficult times. Let's look at Matthew chapter 27. Matthew chapter 27, beginning with verse 55, says, There were also many women there, looking on from a distance, who had followed Jesus from Galilee, ministering to him, among whom were Mary Magdalene and Mary the mother of James and Joseph and the mother of the sons of Zebedee. Now, the reason that we can look at this passage and know that she followed Jesus everywhere, even into the tough times and the tough places, is this is at the crucifixion. This is when Jesus is entering his final time here on earth. Now, the rest of the disciples, all of the ones that we read about and usually are the first ones that come to our minds, the Peters, the Johns, the James, the you know all of these people, the Thomases, they are nowhere to be found at this time. During the moment that Jesus first began to get accused, once that he is beginning the persecution, once that all of this, this wheel has been, this, it's rolling, it's in motion, and his time on earth is coming to an end, the rest of the disciples fled because they were worried about being crucified with him. They were worried about their own safety. We see that in the life of Peter when he denies him three times. And just hours before that, had tried to rebuke Jesus because Jesus called him out on it. He said, hey, this is going to happen. But we see this great fleeing of the disciples, and they just they, they flee for their lives. They flee out of fear, and they kind of go back to what they're doing, you know, what they did before. And we'll see that whenever we look at the life of Peter uh, during this resurrection time. Peter just went back to doing what he'd always done before. And that's probably what most of the other disciples were doing as well, so the moment of hardship comes, the moment of trial, the moment where danger is far more imminent than it had ever been before, we kind of see this flight or fight mechanism, you know, this, this fleeing or, or standing your ground type thing, that the moment that true danger, like life-threatening danger, is introduced into the situation, we see a great dispersing of the disciples, but then there's, there's this handful, there's this few that follow him all the way to the cross, and Mary Magdalene was one of them. So we see that she followed Jesus everywhere, no matter 
what personal risk she may be running, no matter what threat to her life came, no matter what danger she might have been stepping into, she did not allow distance to come between her and Jesus. When I was driving into the office this morning, I was kind of thinking about this concept of following everywhere and following closely. I was on the on-ramp to the interstate, and I followed a car on there. And as we got onto the interstate, he was driving just a little bit faster than what I was. So he started to pull away from me a little bit. And soon after that, two or three cars had gotten in between. And I got to thinking about like road trips. When we go on a road trip and we're supposed to be following that lead car. Side note, side note. If you're the lead car on a trip and you've got people following you, yellow lights mean stop. Please, for the love of everyone here, if you're leading on a trip, yellow means stop. And anyhow, I digress. So I start noticing that this car that I had followed onto the interstate was getting further and further away from me. And not only was this car getting further and further away from me, there were additional things. The further it got away from me, the more things got in between me and that initial car. And I really kind of got to thinking, it's like, this is, this is a lesson for me in, in my simple mind as to me following Jesus, that the more closely that I follow him, now I'm not endorsing riding a bumper, okay? It, don't do that. Don't, don't ride people's bumpers. But the closer that I'm following Jesus, the, the more clearly I can see him, but also the more closely that I'm following him, the less opportunity things of this world have to, they, they don't have the opportunity to come between us. Because, I mean, it's, it's kind of like that compromise, right? If we're on a trip and that lead car gets just a little bit out in front of us and that one car gets there, it's like, okay, it's not that big of a deal. I can still see him, all right? So I'm going to be content. I'm going to be okay with this one car being in there. Maybe if we fall back just a little bit more, that, that second car comes in, in on us here. And then we're thinking, okay, it's not great, but I can still see it. Guys, I think we have to be really careful in our relationship with Jesus that we don't fall victim to that mentality that when things of the world try to slip in there, even when they are successful in sleep, slipping in there, we can't be content and we can't compromise our relationship with him in allowing things of this world to come between us and Jesus. So follow him no matter what, no matter what the danger. That's the first thing I think that we see out of the life of Mary. Now, the second thing I think that we see is that what we were just talking about, that nothing was able to come between the, in the relationship between she and Jesus, even unanswered questions. Now, I want to kind of read on a little bit here in Matthew 27, and, and I want us to look at this concept that she didn't even allow unanswered questions to separate her from Jesus. Verse 57 says, When it was evening, there came a rich man from Arimathea named Joseph, who was also a disciple of Jesus. He went to Pilate and asked for the body of Jesus. Then Pilate ordered it to be given to him. And Joseph took the body and wrapped it in a clean linen shroud and laid it in his own new tomb, which he had cut in the rock. And he rolled a great stone to the entrance of the tomb and went away. Mary Magdalene and the other Mary were there. They were there, sitting opposite the tomb. Now, 
Why do I feel like this is significant for us? One of the reasons, in my opinion, that all of the disciples had kind of fled, not only at the crucifixion scene, but after Jesus had made the statement that it is finished after he had died. I think that one of the reasons for that is because they had a lot of questions. You see, in their mind, Jesus, even though that he had told them that he was going to die, they were still doubting as to, okay, was this guy really who he said he was? Was this Jesus, the man that we've laid everything down for, this man who claimed that I am, that claimed to be the Messiah, and we bought into that wholeheartedly, we gave everything to this man. Was he really the Messiah? Even though he told us he was going to die an innocent death, we're still fighting this doubt because we wanted him to come and restore Israel as a physical war-like king who was just going to wipe out the Romans. It was going to wipe out our oppressors. And now here, this great king, this one that we had given and invested everything in, now just died on it. He wasn't even, he was tortured. He was ridiculed. He was mocked. He was beaten. But he didn't even defend himself. Is this really the guy? See, Mary refused to leave not only the crucifixion scene, but she was still there at the tomb even when he was buried. Even when the tomb, when the stone was rolled, when the tomb was sealed, she remained there um, in the midst of all of these questions. There's no, you can't convince me that in her own mind she wasn't asking the same questions that the disciples had. She wasn't wrestling with the same doubts and the same confusion as to what all the other followers of Jesus were wrestling with, but there was a locational difference that she was going, listen, I don't care what questions I have unanswered. I don't care what kind of doubts I'm facing. I don't care what kind of fears that are in front of my face right now. My Jesus, my Savior, the one that I am living for is here, and I am not leaving. I think that's something that we could really learn and apply in our lives because if you're like me, most of the time, there's far more questions than what there are answers. Situations that I face, there's a lot of times that even after they're done, I don't have all the answers for it. I don't have the explanation. I can't tell you why. I can't make sense of it all of the time. But what I do know is that there's often times that I'll stand at the foot of a mountain and pray for God to move it and get it out of my way, and God wants me to climb it. I know that there have been many times in my life that I've been facing raging seas and I've been praying to God that he would speak peace and calm the waters and God is just wanting me to exercise my faith in him and weather the storm. I know that there are times of wilderness and de destitution in my life of when I feel like everyone and everything is so far away from me that I'm all by myself and I'm asking God to pull me out of that place immediately and restore everything and God is wanting me to learn to trust in him through my wilderness experience. Don't allow unanswered questions to pull you away from your relationship with Jesus. Don't let unanswered questions, fear of man, doubt, be one of those vehicles that gets in between you and your Savior. 
And I think the third lesson that we can learn from Mary today is she glorified God and not herself. Yeah, I think that we all, uh, Thomas and James and myself, we, we, as we were having our coffee again this week, one of the conversations that we had was just how much that we can wrestle with narcissism. You know, we all wrestle with this pride that, that deep down, even the most humble of us have to fight with being narcissistic about it being all about us. And I think that we see if anybody, Anybody in the New Testament had the right to be proud, to be narcissistic, it was Mary. Just because of the numbers of firsts that we see in the uh, John's account in chapter 20 that we read earlier, she was the first one there. John talked about his blazing foot speed. I'm sure he had dad new balances on, you know, the white new balances, had to be wearing those. But he was bragging about how fast he was. Mary was there. Mary was the first one that Jesus revealed himself to after the resurrection. And she was also the first one to make the announcement of his resurrection. Now listen, that's big deal kind of stuff. I mean, that's stuff that I think that any of us would have difficulty in, especially if we had a moment of like, uh, you know, confrontation with somebody. Be like, oh yeah, I was the first one to see Jesus. But she sought to bring glory to him first, and him only, and not herself. So I want to leave you with this little bit of a a factoid about Mary Magdalene that we didn't cover at the very beginning on purpose. Mary is mentioned 12 times in the New Testament. In the Gospels, she is mentioned 12 times. Not one time is there a family lineage or a family history, or she's the daughter of, or she's the sister of, or she's the mother of, or she's the aunt of. There's none of that. There's no family history given in any description of Mary Magdalene. The one thing, the one descriptor that is given about Mary is that she is Mary the Magdalene, follower of Jesus Christ. Think about that testimony for just a minute. You know, I am Ben, son of Daryl, son of Ernie. And yes, Ernie is my mom's name. So I've got a lineage attached to me. And I'm proud of that, that family history. But at the end of my life, if someone looks and says, that was Ben James, follower of Jesus Christ, then I will consider my life more of a success than what it was a failure because there's plenty of failures in my life. So in closing today, I want to ask you this question. As we look from the lessons that we learned from Mary Magdalene, as she was so dedicated, so loyal to Jesus, we see that nothing, no death, no threat, no fear, nothing, was able to separate her and her relationship with Jesus Christ. My question to you today is, in your life, in your history, when trouble comes, when trials come, when tribulations come, when dark times and struggles happen, do you run away from or do you draw closer in your relationship with Jesus? Whenever you have times that are tough and difficult, whenever those times happen, 
Do you allow distance to happen and more things of this world to get in between you and Jesus in your walk? Or do you draw even closer to him and depend on him and lean on him and focus on him all the more? Thank you for joining us again today. We are, we are glad that you've been with us. Um, next week, we're going to be looking at Thomas as one of the people of the resurrection and some of the lessons that we can learn from his life. We'll see you then.